Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. And I am very excited this week. I've got a good friend of mine on the phone with us, and if you've ever visited the blog on iamturkeyhunting.com, you may have read a blog post about Eric the newbie and he's pretty upset that I still call him that because Eric's been turkey hunting now for about pretty steady now for about five or six years and gotten really into it and he's becoming a a pretty good turkey hunter even though he's on the phone and I don't want him getting a a big head which probably is too late for that anyway but Eric I haven't um, killed a turkey in two years I'm just a guy and a cook now so I don't even get to shoot him anymore I just have to take kids hunting well, that's better than killing them. You keep it is. Taking I have a good time. And, yeah, absolutely. Keep keep taking those kids hunting and let let them kill turkeys. That's that's what it's all about. And you'll get better memories out of that than you will killing them on your own anyway. I was actually talking to my 12 year old this morning. He was messing around in school and not doing some stuff like he wanted to. And I was trying to find something that would hit hard at home. And I actually said, I said, you know, if you don't straighten this out by spring, you will not be going turkey hunting. And he looked over at me like, he goes, we'll be fine. I was like, all right, just thought I'd make sure you understood where we were at. <laughs> so <laughs> I have found a new punishment that got his attention. <laughs> so You would get my attention with that. <laughs> I bet we would. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'm real bad about sneaking out at night. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's hard to hunt them turkeys at night unless you're going to shoot them off the tree. But we wouldn't do no, I, like that now. <laughs> I can wait. I can wait till daylight. I'm not. I'm not afraid of the dark. <laughs> Well, for those of you that, if you ha- if you haven't visited the blog and you haven't read any of the, the blog post about Eric the newbie, you may have listened to episode 13 of the podcast, which is, I think it's entitled Another Funny Turkey Hunting Story, where my friend Todd Harrell, who is Eric's cousin, and, and I like to refer to him as Eric's younger brother, because that irritates Todd for some unknown reason. I'm not real sure. But you heard the story of Ethan's successful turkey hunt from this past season, 2014. And it is a really, really funny story, even without knowing Ethan to know his personality, which I'm almost 100% sure copies his dad's personality almost to a, to a T. But you need to check that out. Ethan is Eric's 
son. That is the 12 year old that Eric is mentioning who is just absolutely eat up with turkey hunting. And that's exciting. I, I love seeing kids with that kind of enthusiasm for it. And you know that they're going to keep hunting. And Eric, you know the good thing about this because you were there as well. And heck, I was there. I was there with you for some of that time, but it'll keep him out of trouble too. Oh man, definitely. Yeah, there you go. And and just let him know that it's 115 days, eight hours, 14 minutes, and 30 seconds, 29 seconds, 28, 27 until opening day of turkey season in Alabama. And you do know that he's a youth, and he gets to hunt a whole week earlier than you do. Oh, I know it. I know it. <laughs> I don't need you to remind me of that because I'm sure he will. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you, we got a story to tell, I think, tonight, don't we? We do have a story to tell. This, I wanted to get Eric on the call with us because when Eric was just getting into turkey hunting, I guess you'd been serious about turkey hunting for what, about two years when this story happened? Yeah, I was just starting to get out of the stage of bugging you and Todd to death by calling y'all and going, hey, man, I got a turkey gobbling over here. Y'all would be in a whole other county, and I would ask you questions like, well, what do I do? And y'all would have to guide me by the phone just trying to figure out what I needed to do because I was in such a panic. And I was having multiple birds gobble in the morning, so I was still feeling my way around, but I was getting into the less calling you guys and learning how to make a lot of mistakes on my own. And and that's what I did. I mean, I would hang out with y'all, and then I would – I was one of these guys that the only way I was going to learn is I was going to have to mess up. I was going to have to blow it multiple times, and I know I did. But over the last few years, I've gotten a lot better at it. When I was learning, it was huge to have folks like you guys to call and say, man, I don't even know what to do in this situation. And y'all would help me out. And this actually ended up being one of those situations where, man, I had a turkey that just, I had him pinpointed all year. And I just could never kill him. And actually, I sent Todd over there one time to kill him, and he had a problem with him, too. He just, he was a smart bird. He'd been around. Well, he'd been around, and you had educated him a, a fair amount. And, you know, that always makes him more difficult to hunt. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that in a bad way because God knows I have educated a ton of them and still will educate a ton of them. It's just something that's going to happen. But I've got my thoughts about what helped us out that day with the turkey. Helped us out of the turkey out. Well, we'll talk, we'll get to that part of the story when we get there. But this is the story of what has been named the whiskey turkey. And for any of you who have followed this podcast or my blog for any length of time, you know what my philosophy is about naming turkeys. And Eric named this turkey the Whiskey Turkey. And I'm going to let Eric pick up the story from the start and run with it all the way to the end. And you'll probably hear me jump in and interject a few things here and there. But I'm going to let Eric take over from here and tell us a story about the Whiskey Turkey, Eric. Well, as spring came along, I had found myself to be the only turkey hunter on this friend of mine's piece of property that was hunted on over in Alabama. I knew the property very, very well. I mean, I knew it like the back of my hand. There's nothing about this property I didn't know. And so coming into the property, you always had to come through a neighborhood that 
just and had about 10 homes. And when I say neighborhood, I say that lightly. It's a very poor community in this part of the state of Alabama. And so I would park my truck, and the people there knew me. And I knew they had some things going on in that area that may not have been legal, but it is what it is. So I get out of my truck, go through our gate, and I hunted several turkeys all through the season that year. There were several ridges that they would roost on. I always had this one that would gobble every morning off to my right, going right in the gate. The problem was he was just in this little neck of woods next to the pasture, and it was hard to get in there to him without him seeing me. So the first time I hunted him, kind of messed it up. I guess he saw me. Just the woods were still clean. So I came. I wouldn't put a lot of pressure on him, and I'd go hunt another one that I could get to, and I'd mess with him. And one day, one afternoon, when the uh, day kind of settled down, I went in there to where he was gobbling, and I wanted to see why he's in there. And mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in the woods, deer hunting and doing stuff. So there's a reason why I kept hearing him on the same ridge every morning. Well, I started exploring down to the woods, and I walk up on a, a whiskey still, a working whiskey still. It actually had a flame built under it at the time when I'm looking at it. <laughs> So and, I'm like, and now you're not you're not talking about a you're not hunting in in Jack Daniel's distillery. No, we're not. We're hunting in a. This, um, yeah, I wouldn't drink this. But some this people is like in the it. Woods. Yeah, this is in the middle of the woods. There's leaves falling into the whiskey from the trees, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not a um, a very healthy environment. It might have been for personal use. We'll assume it was. We'll just keep it, you know, personal use whiskey stick, and. You know, there takes several things, several ingredients to make this kind of whiskey. And one of those are corn. So as I started thinking, I thought, well, that's why he's living in here. He's coming down here to eat this corn. Because there was a bunch of smashed corn all through the area. Because when they would bring it in to make this whiskey, they would spill it all over the place. Well, is this corn mash? Mm-hmm. Or is it actual corn you know, no, it's all mashed. No, it's all been, cr- yeah. it's all it's all been mashed and it's poured out on the ground. A lot of it he tries to get in the steel, but he's spilling some of it. And there are some whole corn kernels and stuff like that laying around. So it has, you know, there's a and it's everywhere. It's like most of it's in a pile next to the steel. Mm-hmm. And and the turkey is roosting up on a hill about 150 yards away from the steel. And with him roosting up away from that steel. I figured what he was doing is sometimes during the day, he was coming down there and eating on that corn with his hens and everything else. Mm-hmm. So I got the bright idea one morning. I had my lovely daughter with me, and I thought, we're going to go kill a turkey, and I'm going to let her get this turkey. I had already killed one or two, and still, you know, well, that's not a lot, but I'm still learning, but I'm, I want to always get my children involved in hunting. That's I love it. I mean, and so she was in, in board. I think she was probably... 14 at the time so i get her down there and i'll be honest with you andy we're sitting up on a big oak tree and that bird's gobbling he's sitting up on that hillside and he's gobbling and he's gobbling and i'm doing things you're not supposed to do you know i'm calling at him and he'd gobble i call at him because i wanted to hear him gobble and i wanted my daughter to hear him gobble so i'm doing nothing but just putting on a gobble fest knowing now i should have just shut up <laughs> but that's things that i've learned over the years that i'm going to that I have corrected in the way I hunt turkeys. But he yeah. flew down, and we got to watch him strut up and down on this ridge, and he just never was going to come to us. And we kind of slipped out of the woods, and I sent my cut, sent Todd over there 
the next weekend, and he same thing. That bird sat on top of that ridge, and Todd couldn't get to him because there was a lot of open land between the steel and where the turkey was, and there was no way you were ever going to get from the steel to that turkey to where he liked to fly down to. Those are big woods that he was flying down into, and and you could see two hundred yards. Yeah, easy. yeah, yeah. I mean, there were mornings where we saw nine or ten turkeys, hens, everything going up there to him. It was like he did everything right. Everything that happens like with nature with a turkey, when he gobbles a hen to come, he could watch them going to him. It was a really a cool show. But this isn't a little gobble. This is a big old bird. And so this went on all spring. And just, you know, I I could never get him. But he was in this neck of woods. And But, again, that's my advantage I had on this property is I knew the land very well. So I started studying the maps, and I realized that he's surrounded in this neck of woods by a pasture. So my thought was the only way to truly get to him, I can't come from the whiskey still, which is the only entrance into the woods. I had to come around from his backside and come in from the pasture. Mm-hmm. I wanted this bird. I mean, it got to be personal, to be honest with you. It got to where it I was, was taking off. Yeah, I was taking off from work. I was slipping <laughs> off. I would leave my house at 4 o'clock in the morning in Birmingham and drive all the way to that area and hunt that bird and come back to work and be back at work by noon just so I could hunt him for a few hours. And every time he would whoop me. I mean, it was just, it was a problem. So it got to become, that was my first bird I truly got addicted to. That yeah. it was, it was, I've gotten that way with deer, but this was worse. When you get in your vehicle on a Tuesday morning to drive an hour and 45 minutes to hunt for two hours, to turn around and drive back to town an hour and 45 minutes to work your job, it is personal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> so all spring, I kept trying to come up with a way. And as I kept watching those pastures, I just knew that there were certain days he was going out in those pastures. He lived in that corner for a reason. There was plenty mm-hmm. of food. He had all the food at the whiskey steel he wanted. He had places to strut. He had plenty of hands. And hens. all the booze. Yeah. And all, of, and all, all the, the wild turkey the he food. needed. Yeah, yeah. All the wild turkey he needed. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine him rounding his hens up and going to the steel at about 9 o'clock in the morning and getting the hens all rowdy? Exactly. I mean, it was, I was truly messing up his parties. Yeah, I was truly (laughs) messing up his parties. So, and I'm not kidding. I just can't explain the passion I had to shoot this bird. I mean, I would wake up at night thinking, I'm going to kill the turkey. So, luckily... An event took place, and it's, it involved you and Todd and some of the other guys that we all hang out with that you've been mentioning on our podcast. And as a newbie, I'm always made fun of. And so uh, I'm good with that. And you guys all get down to my place, and I'm like, listen, I got this one bird, and I got a plan. And I even remember distinctly you in particular going, you got a plan. I said, no, I'm serious. I got a plan. This is how we got to kill this for turkey. And everybody was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, this is the only way we can do it. we got to go into this pasture. And I guess you could probably take into some of this, because we had to walk across probably 200 yards of open pasture mm-hmm. through people's backyards, no less. <laughs> and yeah. at, 
it's like on a Sunday morning, it's like daybreak. We're walking through people's backyards in this community type area, trying to get to this neck of woods. Now we went in early and I had insisted on that. And I know anybody listening to this podcast, a hunch for me knows that I like to get up early and I get made <laughs> fun of that on a constant basis, but I don't like this to jump out of bed and go do stuff. I'm just not built that way. And I know it drives you and the rest of the crowd insane. But that morning, I insisted that we had to get there early. And thank goodness we did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because we yeah. would have been caught. <laughs> so after by probably, the turkey. By the turkey. We would have been caught office. by the turkey because there is no way. These woods are so big and open. There's no way to get even within 100 yards of this turkey without getting there while it is pitch dark. And we caught a great morning because it was about as, you couldn't hardly see your hand in front of your face that morning. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, about as dark as you could get. And we actually came up, you know, if if people are listening to this for an education process, this is where my pay of the land came off. I knew where we needed to cross the fence at because we actually crossed into the densest part of the woods where we went into. And so we had some cover and we kind of came up into a small pine thicket. And the big hardwood on top of that ridge, and there was a small cut, old cut area in there where some pines were in. And we're able to slide through those pines, and we got lucky, too, because we had pine straw to walk on. So we're not even making a sound. I mean, I can't yeah. believe we got in there as quietly as we did, because I'm normally either would have dropped a call or my gobble box would have got caught on the fence and plucked or, or you know, it would have been just an awful situation. Right. But we did it right that morning. Everything that I planned out to get across the fence worked out. How we were going to get into the woods worked out. But then things started changing as we got into into the woods. I mean, I even told you, I think I even said, hey, he's going to gobble out of that tree. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, the whole hunt was turned over to you because, again, I'm a newbie and I'm hunting. So I'm hunting with one of the most respected guys I hunt with all year. I mean, if he tells me to do something, I want to do it. If my cousin on the hand, I might argue with him now. So uh, I don't listen to him quite as much as I used to. So, uh, but you and Chip, I still listen to. I'll, I'll obey you guys pretty good. But I said, That's Andy, because this you was... know I'll shoot you. Yes, it's true. It is true. <laughs> so, Todd uh, will not shoot you because you're family, but I will shoot your ass. <laughs> that is for sure. If, if, if I blow it, I know I'm either going to get left because I know I'm not going to outwalk you back to the truck. <laughs> so if you got your mindset, I will get left. <laughs> so, you know, so I kind of looked over at you and I was like, hey, you're in charge here. What do we do? And at that point, I think, and best I can recall, I believe he clucked or something and he gobbled just right. We were right underneath. You may not have pointed to the exact tree that he was in, but if you did not, he was roosted in the very next tree over. You knew what that turkey was doing. And that was huge. And so when we got in there, even though it was dark, I put you up in front of me by about, you were what, probably 20 yards in front of me. And as open as those woods were, we probably, if I had known that they were that open because it was so dark, it's the first time I'd ever been in there. We wouldn't have gone in. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I probably would have put you a little bit further in front of me. But, I mean, the way everything panned out, it panned out perfectly. Yeah. As far as our setup was concerned, but I don't like to call to a turkey on the roost. And 
where we hunt, these turkeys have been hunted since the beginning of time. They were hunted by the Indians, and then when the Indians got killed off or run out of the area, then they were hunted by the locals, and they were overhunted. And, you know, even when there was no turkey season, no legal turkey season, these turkeys were still hunted because there's nobody around to police this area. These turkeys have been hunted since the beginning of time, not just by humans, of course, but by bobcats, and coyotes, and foxes, and everything else that hunts a turkey. But then when you throw the human element in there, it is inbred in these turkeys. And they know that if they hear a hen call to them while they are on the roost, they know that they are not supposed to go anywhere. They're going to stay there on that limb, on the roost, and wait until they see that hen and she walks within seeing distance. Or sometimes they'll wait on her to walk right underneath the tree that they're in before they fly down. So I do not like to call to a turkey on the roost. And if I do call to one on the roost, it's because I thought that he's flown down. And that's what happened that morning. I actually thought that turkey had flown down. Because this was a pretty what, significant ridge that, because we're almost eyeball to eyeball. And he's probably 40, 50 foot up in an oak tree. And he's almost eye level with us on the ridge. And at that time, too, I believe we had two hens that had already flown down that we didn't see that fly down that were walking near me at that yeah. time. And he was still up on the limb. And so yeah. now the hens are next to us. The turkey's still on the limb, and it's just, so, I mean, it was a lot of stuff was going on, and it was, he was absolutely gobbling his head off. And, and so I think he had clucked one time or yelled one time, and he just was firing off, and all of a sudden, you know, we look over to our right, and there's two hens, and so the hens are probably, what, 25, 30 yards from our right shoulder? Yeah, they were close. <laughs> and that bird's up on the limb, and you like I said, I think you called to him once or twice, and he's absolutely just tearing it up. And I'm like, this is this is going to happen. I'm finally going to kill the whiskey turkey. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, all of a sudden, it's like, I mean, I mean, I know everybody's seen a turkey, but this big old black bird flying out off that limb this morning. I mean, it looked like a seven forty seven coming down. And he is close. I, oh, I, I mean, I swear, I mean, I, I know I still have nightmares about how close he really was. But, and I wasn't expecting him to. The one thing that did catch me by surprise, and I was a newbie, so this is the first time, even though I'd killed some turkeys, this is the first time I'd watch one land, come off the roost, and do that little running thing they do. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen that before. Well, now I know. <laughs> But then I did not. And and that kind of caught me by surprise because he kind of came and ran down. The best I can remember was to my right. And I'm right-handed, so that does present a little bit of a problem when he hit. But I think he was, was he 20 yards? Yeah, may have been 20 yards. And I'm looking at probably one of the biggest turkeys I've ever seen at this point. And I had already killed. My first turkey was big. The first turkey I'd ever killed, actually, I was told, get it now because you'll never kill another one that big. Yeah. He was wrong. He was wrong, but this bird was big. And, you know, there's been all spring of frustration, everybody trying to kill this bird. 
and I am absolutely looking down him at 25 yards. My heart's thumping. I got two hens over there by us. And I know you're, you having a video camera would have been the best thing ever for you at this point in time because you got probably a better view than you could watch on TV right now. <laughs> it, was, it was a show. I mean, it is right in front of you. You can see me. You can see the turkeys, the hens, and the and it's hardly. I mean, what is it? Six thirty in the morning, or roughly seven it's, o'clock, maybe. It's early. It's still gray. I mean, it it is right after fly down. That turkey flew down within twenty five yards, and by the time he got settled in, he was within twenty yards of Eric, and that's where he pitched down. I mean, he's probably I mean, not the sleep out of his eye yet. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And I'm like, well, I got to shoot. I mean, it's, I got to pull the trigger. And I shot. And I missed. I kind of hit him, I think. And then he had some kind of a roll action, but I don't know if he's just dodging the bullets because he had the ninja in him. But he, he got laughing. up. He was <laughs> doubled over laughing at you. That's the only thing I can imagine. <laughs> because that turkey got up. And took off, and I pumped another round, stood up, and I shot, and I shot a hole through a three-inch tree as he <laughs> ran on down the woods, flew across the corner of the pasture, and what makes it even funnier, I'm not kidding you, he ran by another old whiskey stick. And that's the truth. The second one. And that's the truth. And I think you even got a shot off at him, too, and he that, that hunt right there cost me, <laughs> oh, probably six months off my life from lack of oxygen, from laughing so hard. <laughs> and it cost me about $15 in shotgun shells because I shot at him three times running. One time those running woods, through the woods. were so open. Yeah, one time running through the woods, and then two times as he's, well, one time as he's flying across the pasture, and then the last time I shot at him, he had to have been 80 yards, and I was just shooting just to shoot, because I didn't know if the bird was wounded or what, and I didn't want him getting away, you know, if he if he was hurt, but he did he sure didn't look very hurt as he was running off. Um, well, he I'm looked gonna, fat and drunk is what he looked like when he was going off. All I can say is he is what they made the label from for wild turkey whiskey. All I, all I got to say is because the fact that he was living by a whiskey still and his escape route was by another whiskey still made me wonder just, hmm, this dude's got something going on over here in this part of the town. But it was um, disappointing to say the least. It took about two years to truly get over that, and I still have to tell that story every now and then because that was a killer. I, I, I honestly, Andy, I don't think I've missed one since then. Yeah. I may not have pulled the trigger on one, and I probably should have, but actually, just a flat-out miss. I don't think that's happened. But and I still today, I don't know why I missed it, now, other than the fact that he was so close to me that my pattern just I just shot over. Yeah, and, um, you, you may wow. have made the mistake that a lot of us make, especially in a situation like that. You get excited and you don't get down on the gun real well and you tend to shoot over them because it's like, all right, I want to watch. 
all of this happen. Right. Instead of actually be the one that participates and squeezes the trigger to make him drop. And so right. I, I'm, you know, just to guess because I didn't see where where your shot went. Obviously, it was, you know, still hazy, gray, early morning light. <laughs> it was early. And, uh, it it was early, and you know, but I I did find oh I'd say ninety percent of your pattern on one of those shots in that tree, and that. Of course, I had to get a picture of, and you know, I tried to find that picture, and I couldn't find it. But yeah, I had it too, and I looked for it about a year or so ago because I remember it just. In fact, I was walking in that section of woods not long ago, and I guarantee you, I found that tree. There's a tree over there. It's much bigger now, but there's a huge wound on the side of where that happened. So that tree's actually still alive. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's time has flown by, but. You know, that's probably one of my best turkey hunts. You know, even when we didn't get one, it's the fact that I put the entire spring into that turkey. And, yeah, I should have killed him. But it really didn't matter to me now. Looking back, you know, I've sold my son on the fact that if we hear one gobble, we had a good day. Yeah. We had a good day. And if we get a chance to pull the trigger, that's even a better day. We bring one home. Man, we had a great day. Yeah. And so I hope everybody well, enjoyed that story. I mean, it was, uh, I don't know if we made it as funny as it seemed, but I, I can promise you it was uh, one of the best turkey hunts I'd ever been on. There's only been a few that I would rank up there that are absolutely just things that you will remember forever. I've killed a lot of birds since I've gotten into it, and I've had better years. But that was a year that, you know, that stuck out in me that got where I really got hooked. I would say that's the year that I got truly hooked because that turkey obsessed me for so long. And it's kind of stayed that way. I mean, I did it last year. I got up on a couple of birds last year that I was leaving Birmingham four o'clock in the morning, headed south. Yeah. Well, I think that your story is proof positive that white lightning will make you 10 feet tall and bulletproof. <laughs> I can promise you. <laughs> because the whiskey turkey was 10 feet tall. He was huge. There's there's no doubt he was a big turkey, and he was bulletproof that morning. To, Definitely to dodge, one of the baddest ones I've ever seen. <laughs> to dodge that many pellets, five shots being thrown at him, and dodge that many pellets, he's got to be bulletproof. Yeah, that was a, that was a bad dude. So um... That was a good hunt. And, you know, I've had... Anybody that's listening to this podcast as turkey hunter for a while has had those birds. And, and I had an experience similar to this where this is a turkey I'd hunted for four years. And Todd and I both had hunted this turkey for four years, and he liked to hang out on top of this ridge. And I'll be dang if one morning we didn't get in there and fool him finally. And this is when we were cutting our teeth, so... God knows we made some mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes with this bird. But we fooled him one morning and got him walking down this ridge. And he got about 35 yards from me and swinging a miss. I struck out on that joker and I kicked my own rear end all the way down that ridge and all the way back to the pickup truck. That was four years of hunting that turkey. 
that turkey tell you how he haunted me. I thought I had that turkey patterned, and I did. Every morning he'd go up on this ridge, or he would fly down to the bottom of the ridge, and he'd walk up to the ridge. He might be on the the east end of the ridge on one morning and the west end of the ridge on the other morning, that he was walking that ridge up and down the ridge, and he was gobbling. That was his strut zone. That's where he was going to be. And one morning, I got up, same situation, way before the crack of dawn. I was in there an hour before daylight. Yeah, my time to be in there. Yeah. And I went and I <laughs> sat down on top of this ridge, and I waited, and I waited, and waited, and waited. And then finally, about 9.30, I said to myself, this turkey's not going to show up on the ridge today. I, I'm going to work. Eric, I stood up, put my cushion back up on my vest, got the gun, walked down to the bottom of the ridge. I am 150 yards from the top of the ridge, and that turkey gobbled where I was sitting. <laughs> Man. I, I had not been gone for three minutes, and he gobbles exactly in the spot where I was sitting. He had my number. He owned you. He owned me. He owned me, and I, I whiffed him. I slowly he, he just wanted you to know he was the dominant predator that day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you and, know, that's how uh, I look so, at it. It's, it's a game, man. It's a, it's a chess match, and, and they're one of the most interesting creatures to hunt. Well, I want to let you go because it's getting late, and, and I know you've got to get up early in the morning to make coffee about 3 o'clock yeah. tomorrow morning. <laughs> And so, but before I let you go, I want to say one thing, and then I want to ask you a question. All right. The one thing that I want to say is that I think that the key to the success that we had that morning on the whiskey turkey, well, there's a couple of keys. Number one, knowing the woods, and I can't say it enough. Knowing the area that you hunt, knowing where the fences are, knowing where the ridges are, the hollows, knowing where the thick woods are, the thin woods are, the big woods, the fields, knowing the woods is without a doubt the key to killing more turkeys. But the second key to that hunt that made it successful is coming in from a different direction. And the plan that you had to come in through those pastures, I think, is the main reason why we were able to get in there that morning. We got in the hallway going from his bedroom to the living room. Oh, we yeah. We were that close to him. I've never and, been that parked underneath a turkey that close, ever. Yeah. That and when he pitched yeah. down right there by you, that is why you had an opportunity at that turkey. And I'm calling that a successful hunt. We didn't we didn't bring a turkey out or get to take pictures with a turkey that morning, but that was as much fun as I've had on any hunt that I've killed on, and it's all in the hunt. That's oh, definitely. Where the fun comes, yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I think those were the two real big keys, and you know, we may give you all of, all of us and our our group of turkey hunters may give you a real hard time just because you. You are easy to pick on, but it's because you're such a great guy. 
and you take it and yes you do dish it out too but you know you take it and you smile and you let it roll off your back and that's why uh, we do give you a hard time but you knowing those woods and you coming up with a plan to approach that turkey from a different direction to be able to get in there to where he lives every single day was the key to the success that we had on that hunt and that's where being a good hunter and a good woodsman comes into play i've said it on the blog and i've told several people this and you've heard me say it when you started i told a lot of people that you were going to be a good turkey hunter because you are a good hunter and you're a good woodsman and that's what it takes to be successful in the turkey woods so Speaking of success in the turkey woods, tell me the story of your last successful turkey kill. And when I say successful, I'm not talking whiskey turkey successful. I'm talking let's bring some meat out this time. And the one or two keys to, that made that hunt a, a success. Well, we'll make it quick so we know running out of time. But last time I was successful was about two years ago. Two years ago, I was pretty adamant that I was going to get my boy his first turkey. And mm-hmm. I spent that whole spring doing it, scouting whatever I had to do. If I found a bird, I'd back off. Didn't matter. I was going to get this kid a turkey. Now, I, I sacrificed a lot that year. And we went over to a friend of mine's place, and we had some good birds gobbling. And they were, it was it was a great day. We we set up on a couple early that morning, and they shut up. And I said, let's just keep walking. Now, I'm hunting. At this time, he's 11. So after about mile number four and a half, this boy's tired, and uh, we're sitting down at the bottom, and I said, take a break for a second. I want to walk down here to this corner and look at this green field and see if there's anything strutting. By this time, it's probably 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning, and the birds are starting to get out in the fields. It's kind of getting that time, that second phase, from when they flew down, from when they've been messing with their hens, they're starting to break off their hens. This is, this is that time of morning where you got a good chance to kill a turkey, and I knew it was. But his feet are hurting. As soon as he sits down, he pulls his pocket knife out and starts to do stuff. And I slip down the road, and I don't get 50 yards down the road. And I heard a gobble. I thought, hmm. I walk about another 10 yards, stop, turn my ears to where I heard it, and blew my crow call. He gobbled again. Ran back down the road, told Ethan, I said, come on. And you can see the disgust in his face. Come on, we got one gobbling. We ran down the road, and he was in this big timber off to our left, and way pretty good ways from us, and we had plenty of cover to get into where we needed to be. And I blew the crow call again, and he gobbled again. And I said, you hear him? He goes, yeah, he's over here. And he pointed in the exact opposite direction. I'm like, what? And so I'm sitting there thinking, this is a 12-year-old's ears. I know he hears better than I do. I don't believe you. Then the bird gobbled again on his own. He said, Dad, he's right behind you. And I said, are you sure? He said, Dad, I'm telling you. And I said, no, you're wrong, Ethan. I wouldn't buy it. And several times he was right on several birds through that season. But this time I knew he was wrong. Yeah. And so we jumped into this patch of woods and there's a huge timber. And you can, I can see for 200 yards of this timber. And we sit up behind probably the biggest oak tree you can imagine. Both of us are sitting next to each other, right between the roots of the tree. I mean, we're snuggled in good. Bird gobbles again. And Ethan says, Daddy's behind him. And I said, son, you're wrong. He was right in front of me. And he said, are you sure? I said, get your gun up and get ready. And so I reached down and pulled out my slate call, put my mouth call in, and I cluck one time, and he, boom, he pops it. Pow, pow, two times in a row. And he looked, and I looked back, and Ethan looked up at me and goes, yeah, you're right. He's right in front of us. I said, I know where I am. <laughs> and I said, get ready. He's coming. And so he gobbled a couple more times, and he stopped. And I could hear him out there gobbling, 
drumming. Ethan heard, this was the first time Ethan ever heard one drum. And so he's back and forth, back and forth, and he holds up. I'm like, dang, I'm wanting this call, and I don't. So a couple minutes goes by, and I'm holding that call. And all of a sudden, I hear Ethan go, dead. there he is. And he could see him. And I was expecting him to come from our right, but he actually came from our left, down this wood line. And Ethan sees him first, and I'm like, and I look, and I could see that beard dragon. He's all by himself. No hens, no other gobblers, my fault. Man, you just committed suicide. And so he's about 35 yards out in front of us, and he won't stop. He's strutting, and he'd drop out of strut. He'd strut, and he'd drop out of strut. And Ethan's like, Dad. And I could hear, I literally could hear my son's heart pounding. That uh, turkey center, I mean, he literally is about to explode. He said, he won't stop. And I said, I'll stop him. You just get ready to shoot. And I had my mouth call in, and that bird breaks open right in front of us. And I went, one time, and that bird let out a gobble right in front of me. And he went in the strut, and I said, well, he drops out of strut, you hammer him. That bird dropped down, and the next thing I know, that 12-gauge went off. And that bird flipped over, and I jumped up. Ethan ran up, put another shell in the gun, and we ran up there. And that bird was dead as a hammer. I'm and Ethan reached down. The first thing he wanted to see was them spurs. And he reached down and grabbed them legs. I kicked him. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, don't do that. He said, why? And I said, watch. At this point, he had never seen a turkey kill. Yeah. First turkey he'd ever seen kill was the one he shot. And I stood up on top of that head. And that bird started doing that kicking. And I said, that's how you get your hand laid up. And I asked him, and I think you were probably the first person he called when he shot that turkey. He was jacked up, man. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was the last successful turkey hunting I went on when somebody was with me that pulled the trigger. But, you know, I spent a lot of time last year with him. We set up on, we had multiple hunts we set up on, just didn't make it happen. He killed one with Todd, which <laughs> we have a great name for that hunt. And uh, <laughs> it's on the podcast. And uh, we <laughs> have completely, 13. yeah, we have completely corrupted even into our ways. It was a uh, it was a great time. <laughs> so, now, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, I swear to you that he says his mother taught him to, to talk like that. He learned that on the football field from somebody. That's what I'm thinking. But uh, You don't but, think it was his mother? Yeah. I, well, sometimes. It could, I bet, yeah. Sometimes. She talks to you that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you've been here on a New Year's Eve. <laughs> I tell you what, I hope this story inspires some people and want to get them out in the woods. And, you know, most of all, if it doesn't do anything, give them take a kid out. If they don't want to take their kids out, let you borrow them so you can take them on youth weekend so you can get you an extra weekend of hunting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why I like having you guys on here to tell stories because, you know, I can give tips or I can have these pros on here to give tips on every episode. But when you hear the story and you hear how these things, how these strategies work in real time, it really kind of drives everything home. It makes the show, in my opinion, more entertaining when you have a good story told. I mean, we all like a good story. And so that's one of the main reasons why I have you guys on there to tell these stories, even if it's a situation where a turkey was missed. 
and I didn't really want you on here because you missed the turkey because God knows I've missed way more than my share of them. And you don't miss one, you ain't hunting very hard. Well, there you go. And I I pray (laughs) to God I get the opportunity to miss a bunch more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's catch and and release, actually. It is, and you get the opportunity to hunt them, <laughs> hunt them again next week, and it makes them even tougher to hunt. Yes, the purpose of getting you on here was not because you missed and not to make fun of you, because I can do that, and I will do that when we're off the podcast recording. Yeah, December tonight, 18th, I feel like that's coming up. So, uh, well, no, 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 just on an ordinary phone call conversation. <laughs> uh, but it's just because I love you. But I appreciate that. You know, I wanted I wanted you to tell the story because – it's just the turkey hanging out at this still and eating corn mash is just hilarious to me. Yeah, and people, it's hard to have a wrap their head around that people actually have whiskey seals, actually live oh, yeah. working whiskey seals. And to catch a turkey eating out of a steel is just, and, and, and to have this escape route into another whiskey steel was just more than one person can really think that's true. That's almost comic book. I'm just oh, going to be yeah. honest with you. <laughs> well, there's no telling how many stills were around there that you haven't seen. I know. I'm afraid I might run into more than I need to. <laughs> yeah. Well, just stay out, of the, stay out of the area that's booby-trapped, and I think you'll be fine. Unless he's got a turkey gobbling up on that hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I enjoyed it. Thank you for spending time with us this evening, and we'll get you on again sometime in the near future. And... um have a great night. Tell the family I said hello, and I'll talk to you again soon. We do. We appreciate it, Andy. We appreciate what you do, buddy. Thank you. No problem, buddy. Thank you. Right, Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.